When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. Not only do military service members risk and give their lives for our nation, they also face a very long list of other financial and career challenges that make saving, investing, and earning a living that much more difficult. Lacey Langford is former Air Force, and she's the host of the Military Money Show. She grew up in the military. She's a military spouse and now helps military service members overcome the long list of challenges, like what she calls the gut punch of transitioning back into civilian life. Today, we'll talk about how she's able to help this group overcome these hurdles. I'm Wes Moss. The prevailing thought in America is that you'll never have enough money, and it's almost impossible to retire early. Actually, I think the opposite is true. For more than 20 years, I've been researching, studying, and advising American families, including those who started late, on how to retire sooner and happier. So my mission with the Retire Sooner podcast is to help a million people retire earlier while enjoying the adventure along the way. I'd love for you to be one of them. Let's get started. Lacey Langford. So we were, again, I feel like our audience is going to think I live in Austin because we had so many great interviews while in Austin. And we went out and Austin is famous for food trucks. And I found a Mexican hamburger place and got a Mexican hamburger with a fried egg and guacamole on it and bacon. And then the team brought tacos and I ate four tacos as well. So I have just flooded. I'm so full. And usually I would want to take a nap, but when I saw Lacey Langford, our guest today, I was like, Lacey, what's up? Let's go. So, so even though Lacey is the military money show, which might you might think we're going to get serious here, I feel like this is going to be not as, this is not going to be a heavy, serious interview. It is not. I definitely like to keep money approachable. That's, that's not my jam being too serious. It scares people off when you want to talk about money. We found out that you like country music. So one of our team members, Andrea, is the, also does all the PR for the Country Music Hall of Fame. So it turns out that Lacey is a country music fan too. Yes. I'm very jealous that she does that for a living. Yeah. That's well, she also helps the PR here too. <laughs> and <laughs> she's got finds her guests. She's got another job. She finds all of our guests. So she does found she... you. Yeah. She found you. Uh, well, she was one that, yeah, reached out. So that's interesting. That's awesome. But yeah, she gets to like hang out with Shania Twain and Zach Brown and tonight. And we're going to invite you to the Broken Spoke with our whole team because George, there's a George Strait cover band tonight. I am totally there. Are you coming? Will yes, you come with us? For sure. You, you don't have to ask me twice. Okay, done. <laughs> All right. Uh, so Lacey, when it comes to your background, so Military Money Show, I, I really want to understand the perspective of being in the military because you were you were in the air force yes you are married to someone in the military still or he's retired he was in the air force and the army so you're military you're in the military military spouse uh, and this is the focus of who you help as well but it's unless you've been in the military and even for the folks that I, i've worked with that are in the military or let's say at least 
those in the government, let's say public service. So we've, I'm in Atlanta, so a lot of CDC people that have been through the ranks of CDC. But I want to, I, I just, I'm very curious to understand the, first of all, just your background. First of all, where are you from? And then how did you end up in the Air Force? Well, I grew up military, so I was actually born in a place called Corbin, Kentucky. Corum? Corbin, Kentucky. Oh, Corbin, yeah. It's home of the first Kentucky Fried Chicken. That's your oh, claim cool. to frame. Okay. <laughs> so. is, there, and there's, is there a base there? No, there's not. Mm-hmm. My, my, my husband, my dad wasn't in the military at that point. He okay. was ROTC and was out for a little bit and then joined back right after I, well, my little brother was born. And then we started moving. Our first base was in Alabama. Mm-hmm. But so I grew up completely in the military. My dad was an army military police officer. We moved everywhere and you know, I was used to that lifestyle. And after high school, I was really struggling with what I wanted to be when I grew Hold up. On, we always skip people, the army people or in air force military, you, you guys always just skip over like, Oh, I lived in 17 places all over the world. We did that. Like, it's no big deal. Like was that, is that fun or is it not cool? Because when you're young, you have to change schools. What is it? Like, where are the main places you lived? Um, our biggest ones were Fort Bragg, North Carolina, and mm-hmm. also at the, that time it was Fort Lewis in Washington. Now it's Joint Base McCord and Lewis. But those were where we spent most of the time. We also spent some time in Virginia, Carlisle Barracks in mm-hmm. Pennsylvania. And it, you know, it has pros and cons like everything does. Mm-hmm. We moved a lot, but I came from a really positive family. And mm-hmm. so every time my dad got orders, he sat us all down and said, hey, this is our next adventure. This is where we're going. He would tell us a little bit about the post and we're going to take a family road trip. So he really always set the tone of mm-hmm. this is something that's going to be cool. This is a positive. This is yes. not I'm ripping you out of school and you've got to go make all new friends. It was like, hey, we're another adventure, another adventure. Yes. And I recently mm-hmm. interviewed my dad for my podcast. Cool. And one thing that I brought up, I asked him, what was the hard part of raising four kids in the military? Mm-hmm. And he said that he also thought everything was positive, like there wasn't anything really difficult, but he said the one thing that he wished we could have had is a hometown. Mm-hmm. And I never really thought about that. We don't have a hometown. When somebody says, where are you from? We're like, we're kind of from everywhere. We've lived a lot of different places. Typically, you're how, how many years in one city or one base? With my dad, we were um, about two, maybe three years. Some places one year, but... So it is pretty quick, and, and even for the ones that are the two to three, just as you're starting to be really integrated, then you have to move. So you really were not ever able to be really settled. No. Like what military families, what sports teams do military families ever end up? Do you, did you have a team then growing up? Your parents watched, you know, I never thought about I'm, I'm in the South, so yeah. college football is like, you know, basically second only to church. But but you guys, I guess, didn't don't even have a team then, like a hometown team. Well, I think, you know, some people, their families had a hometown. Mm-hmm. And we kind of adopted my dad. My grandparents lived in Washington, D.C., so everybody was a big Redskins fan. Oh, cool. So okay. that kind of stayed with the family. But now it's changed. You know, some family members are Carolina Panther fans because we've lived in North Carolina now the longest. Fort Bragg. Well, now, okay, so now where are you? And, t- and, and so hold on. So then, so you moved around as a kid and then how did you get into it? Well, how did you go to air force? Well, I wasn't really sure what I wanted to do. I knew I loved to work, but I wasn't ready for college. Mm-hmm. I always struggled. That wasn't my thing. I just really enjoyed working. Mm-hmm. And I thought about it. My dad made it very clear growing up that, you know, once we graduated, you know, you were going to school or you would be 
contributing to the household. Yeah. <laughs> and so I knew the rent was coming due if I was not going so to So this school. is like 18. Yep. Mm-hmm. Yep. And I decided I'm going to join the army and I did the whole process. I took the ASVAB test and was ready to join. And that's when I actually told my dad, he's like, what are you going to do? He's like, you're not going to school. You know, I knew the talk was coming and it came and he said, what are you going to do? And I said, I'm actually going to join the army. I've Mm -hmm. got it all set up. I've done it on my own. And I thought he was going to flip out and, you know, cause I'm his daughter. I didn't, you know, Mm -hmm. I was, my sisters both went to UNC and. Oh, they were both Tar Heels. Yes. Oh, wow. I graduated from Wilmington after I got out of the military. UNCW. Yep. Yeah. Cool. So, um, but he said, I'm really proud of you. He's like, you did your homework. You're prepared for this. You're making an informed decision. He's like, the mm-hmm. only thing I want for you is to at least talk to an Air Force recruiter so that you have a view of the different services mm-hmm. and then make your decision. He said, because it might be a better quality of life for you, more nine to five, more in line with my personality because my dad knows me. He mm-hmm. knows the Army, knows the Air Force. So, What is the difference between the two? I, again, if you're not in the service, you wouldn't know this. What What is it? Well, really, I mean, I think for me, the Air Force is more like a nine to five job. Hmm. They, you know, I could, I had an admin position, so I was able to go in, do my mm-hmm. work. I was in during peacetime, so that wasn't an issue with deployments. Mm-hmm. I got out a few months before 9 11. And um, also, basic training is not as difficult. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's probably a big one. Yeah. Um, and just the, you know, the difference between enlisted and officer isn't as great maybe in the Air Force as it is in the army. Mm-hmm. And my dad just thought it would be a better fit for me to be committed to an admin kind of desk job and, and give me time to go to school while I was on active duty. So the recruiter must've been pretty good. Yes, yes. And the recruiter swayed you to, to go the Air Force track. Yep. And then you go through, what is that? that? Is it a basic training for Air Force? Yes, I think mine was eight weeks. And then you go on to your technical training. Mm-hmm. So mine was in Biloxi, Mississippi, and that was a, probably only another yeah, what eight was weeks. It? What was the technical? So I was an IM, an information manager. Mm-hmm. So that was anything from learning how to type to learning how to take apart a computer. Mm-hmm. I feel like they didn't train a lot of stuff, just like reviewing performance reports and navigating that world. But yeah, so it wasn't, my experience wasn't very difficult compared to somebody that went into the infantry and the mm-hmm. army. That's going to be, you know, basically a year of training. So you did that. And then how many years did you work in the Air Force then? And then when you sign up, what is the commitment? How many years do you typically go? For the Air Force enlistment, because I enlisted, mm-hmm. it was four years. Mm-hmm. And so that gave me four years to figure out what I wanted to do with my life. And mm-hmm. that I did the four years and I really thought I was going to stay in. But at that point, I met my husband and we were deciding. You and know, what branch is, is he's Air Force? He was Air Force when I met him. He was also enlisted. He was a crew chief. And then after we were married, after 9-11, you know, a lot of things changed. Yeah. And my husband wanted to join the infantry. So he took a commission as an infantry officer right before the birth of our, our first child. In the Air Force, though? No, or no, no. In the in he, the, in he the left army. the air force and joined the army. Oh, that did that does that happen a lot? I yes. Don't know. Oh, so people do change mm-hmm. branches of service a lot. Yes, or or being prior enlisted, so they make the change from being enlisted to become an officer. Mm. So you call it prior service. And then he, how many years did he serve? He served seventeen years. Okay. Yes. All right. So you have a, a long military background. Your spouse also. Your husband was was air force and army. Yes. And then when you enlisted, what, what do you get paid to do? To do? Like how much did you earn? Oh, man, I don't even remember. 
It wasn't a ton. But the big thing is there's always food on the table and a roof over your head. That was mm-hmm. the biggest thing at, at 19. At that point, I was 19. Because you were going to have to pay rent anyway. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that was yeah, that bill was coming due. Um, yeah, so I really just, at that point, I got a car shortly after. Mm-hmm. I had a different situation. My mom got really sick while I was at basic training, so I moved home. My dad was still on active duty at that mm-hmm. point, so I moved to where my parents were at, I asked for to be stationed there so I could help take care of my mother. Mm-hmm. So my dad, my siblings were Did in she college. Get what happened with your she mom? actually had a heart attack my first weekend at basic training, which was just wild because Whoa. they didn't really tell me it was a heart attack. She was young. I mean, yes, she was young. 49. Young, yeah. Yes. And um, so anyway, so it was crazy. But my siblings at that point, I was the one that could probably do the most help. So mm-hmm. it made sense for me to move home and start so a car so that way I could live off post and then commute. And you did that. And then how many different places did you go for the first four years? I actually just stayed at Pope Air Force Base in North Carolina. I did a seven month TDY or temporary duty mm-hmm. to Italy, which was not a hardship. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I know it's a hardship. Yeah. Um, so that was a really great experience for me at 21 to go. And I worked for NATO. That was that sounds adventurous and fun. It was. What city were you in in Italy, or where were you closest? I was in Vincenza in the north, um, and I worked on Domelin, an Italian air base. For how long? I was there for seven months total. So pretty. That was exciting. Yes, and then I had a chance to go to Dubrovnik, Croatia, while I was there, and then to Croatia. How is that? I always hear it's pretty nice. It was amazing. That's one place I want to go back to. We went during the off season because it was a military conference, and um, Mm. but it was amazing. I would definitely go back. It was beautiful. It was. It's right on the Adriatic Sea. Mm. Yes, put it on your list. So you were there so young. I mean, you started at eighteen or nineteen. When did you even start thinking about money, or was it always being in the military in the beginning give you that sense of? Really, I have, I'm always going to have enough. I'm going to have food, as you said, food on the table, roof over my head. And you really weren't even thinking about money as if you would have been in, let's say, the business world. What were you thinking? How did you think about it early on? All about myself and mm-hmm. just my wants and needs. Mm-hmm. I think I was really blessed. I grew up in a household where I was taught about money. I was mm-hmm. taught to spend less than I make and save. Now, I did not always listen to that. Mm-hmm. I was young. I had a steady paycheck. That was amazing. So that was wonderful to go out, have a good time, mm-hmm. dance, and just experience life. Country music. Yes. Yes. <laughs> for sure. Um, and, but investing maybe wasn't something that we always talked about. Mm-hmm. And that's when I started going to school. I, that's what I thought. I want to learn more about that, how to take kind of the next generation of our family to a different level with money. Mm-hmm. And I thought, I'm going to need to go to school to learn about that. And then I started to realize, too, other people didn't have that experience of hearing money conversations at a young age to say, hey, you, you do have to sacrifice right now if you want something. You are going to need to save. And mm-hmm. and I think we all go through different stages in life and figuring out what we want to be, who, we, who we're going to be. And money is a part of that journey. And you're not always going to be perfect with it. And I don't think I was perfect with it. I was always overspending. I was in debt. I had to use a lot of the money I made in Italy to pay mm-hmm. off debt. And so it's just learning and starting to to listen to that knowledge and start to apply it. Was that all the way through your 20s or yeah. before you were even 30? When did you say you went back to UNCW? UNC? I, I was 25 when I went back to school. So I did my first two years of school at 
Fayetteville Tech because mm-hmm. I wanted to get the cheaper classes, but also yeah. um, I, I needed to catch up a little bit. And then I transferred and did my last two years at UNCW. And then after that, what was the next phase for you? I actually got married on my spring break. Oh, wow. And, and so then I went right into being a military spouse and the struggles that come along with that. With yeah, what is that like? So you again, you start moving again. You're moving yep. all over. Yes. So I had this finance degree. I thought like, I'm just going to go work for a financial firm or do something. Yeah. And then I moved to Charleston, South Carolina. My husband was stationed at Charleston Air Force Base at that time. And it was really hard to find a job. And so mm-hmm. I just took whatever I could. I think I made $10 an hour with my college degree. Wow. And, but it was Is money. it also because uh, employers know that you would probably have to move yes. every couple of years anyway? Yes. I think it's better now. It, it's totally different. People are more open to it and working with a military spouse, especially. And there, so this is one of those very unique, this is very unique to being, this is one of many challenges. Oh, yes. Like when I my mom. thought about that. It's like you can't get a job because they know you're going to be gone in a year or two. Yes. They want to know, especially if you're in a military town, they want to know if you're affiliated. And when my mom was a military spouse on active duty, you didn't mention it. You you tried not to tell people that you were a military spouse because they knew, especially if you lived near a school where you were only going to be there a year, they're not really going to make a long-term commitment to you because Mm -hmm. they know that you're going to leave. Not that they're trying to be malicious, I guess. Yeah, it's not like discrimination. It's right, but it's 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 practical, especially as a small business. Maybe they need to um, have some continuity. So just some people did work with you, but and I struggled with it. I think it's gotten better now, especially with the virtual work. Mm-hmm. COVID has been amazing for military spouses. <laughs> you know, that now employers are willing to work with people that are at home or can commute every so often into mm-hmm. the office versus every day. Like come in once day. a month, yes. come in once a week or once a month. Yes. So that is, I never thought about that, but so it's like practical. They're just saying, oh, well, two candidates, one Lacey, we love her, but if somebody else has, has, has been here for 20 years and they're going to stay here, then this could be a longer-term candidate. Right. Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America NA, member FDSE. What about on the military side? So your husband, because the income isn't necessarily as high as he, let's say, could make somewhere else, but then the pension is tip is pretty good. How do you, how do, does the typical military family think about money long-term and investing? And let's start there. Well, I think there are, are some unique challenges to the military as relates to money and then some of the other same challenges, just being smart with your money, making good decisions, sacrificing. But in the military community, that pension can sometimes be a security blanket to say, okay, if I stay in 20 years, I'm going to receive a pension and I'm gonna receive full medical benefits because that's mm-hmm. really where the money's at, to have medical for life for yeah. you and your dependents, your family mm-hmm. members. That's huge. And it's it's wonderful to be able to work towards that, but not everybody stays in 20 years. In fact, most people, over 80%, do not serve 20 years. I had not heard that statistic. So yes. people do, people leave all the time then. Oh yes, especially in 
the deployments, combat time, that's really taken a toll on a lot of people. That So they go, they're in combat, and they come back, and they're like, I'm just done. I can't keep yeah. doing this anyway. Yeah, some people have done multiple deployments. You're talking two, three, sometimes seven years away from your family, depending on how long you've served and what your career field is. And so that... And, if you were in combat arms, that rotation was every other year. Mm -hmm. You had a year home time and then you were gonna be off. And the year you were home, a lot of it was gonna be spent in training, getting ready to, for that deployment. To go year. back. Yes. And so that takes a toll on, do we wanna live like this? Is this our family quality of life? Mm -hmm. um, not to mention just the work that they were doing combat arms. So it just really depends on the family and what their goals are. And it's also frustrating for military spouses that want to build a career. Mm -hmm. That's difficult to, you know, they have people that have a PhD that are working at a child services center, mm -hmm. you know, babysitting, which is very noble work, but that's not what they wanted to do. Yeah. And so it just, over time, something you came in the military to do may have changed. And so you end up getting out after four years or eight years and you don't so a receive. a lot of that group doesn't end up with the, with the 20 year plus Correct. Pension. Most of that group. Correct, but that pension security blanket makes it so then people don't seriously contribute to their defined contribution plan, the thrift yeah. savings plan. I, ha I will say over the many years in the investment industry, I have seen it is not uncommon to have somebody and I look at their pension and I say, wow, that's like, that's a, that's a lot, like 8,000 yeah. a month, 10,000 a month. And then we start reviewing finances and it's like total savings, a hundred grand. It's like, whoa, 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 like no savings to retire. Oh, but you've got this really solid pension that you can really, you can live on. The thought process there, of course, is, hey, I, I, as long as I stay my 20 years, I, that, I am doing my savings in that way. If I say 30 years, I'm doing my, really, I'm saving because then my pension will be there. Yes. Is, you, is that a good idea, bad idea? What do you think about that? And what do, what do military folks, if military people, 80% of them don't even stay the 20 years, then do they kind of get caught on both sides thinking, oh, I'm going to have a pension, and then they don't even think about saving, and then they have to go back to the, real, to the civilian world? Yes. They go back to the civilian world where they probably don't have a pension. So what is that challenge? It's really mindset and not thinking long-term in the strategy and that things could change. Mm -hmm. That what you wanted when you were 25 isn't what you want when you're 40. Mm -hmm. And not having a fallback position for that. And contributing to the thrift savings plan, their version of a 401k is the fallback position. Because if you leave after eight years, you're going to walk away with your TSP versus if you stayed in the full years, you would have walked away with what you had in the TSP plus your pension mm -hmm. and your medical benefits. But so if you don't contribute to your thrift savings plan, you're leaving a lot on the table. And now the retirement system has changed. So now they have the blended retirement system. And so they are giving matching contributions. Mm -hmm. And so you have the ability to get that free money. Financially, if you're going to be in, in the military, even if you're going to get a pension, what are the challenges? One, is it have to do with the amount of money you're making? Two, is the pension, has that changed and come down? Or is it similar to what it's always been? And is it, is it significant enough to fully retire on? Well, I think the biggest challenge is with the money. Yes, when you're young, enlisted, lower level enlisted, you're not going to be making the income that some other people are. But mm -hmm. compared to your civilian counterparts with their education levels, you might be making pretty good money when you factor in your medical benefits and your dental benefits. When you're mm -hmm. on active duty, all that stuff is paid for. So it's give and take. I think it's 
not necessarily how much you make, it's what you do with it and the decisions that you make with it. So yes, it can be in the beginning until you've built up, just like a civilian career, until you've built up your time and service, paid your dues, kind of gone up the ladder a little bit, you're not going to be making the income that other people would. So I think that's a challenge. The transitions are one of the biggest challenges because okay, there's all these about, little yeah, tell me about getting out of the military where do you go like, well it's it's all it's a transition through all of the pcs's or the permanent changes of stations all those moves you're doing there's little things that come up normally everybody has some what ifs in their budget but in the military there is a boatload of what ifs what if you deploy what, yeah. what if we move again in six months what if you get out what if we have another baby what if we um you know, take our savings to invest in a military spouse's education. Mm -hmm. So these what ifs when you're throwing in the transitions, because you never know, you could have a short notice move to say, hey, you know, I know you've only been here a year, but we're going to need you to go across the country. And there's little things that come up with moving frequently is your household. Little, it sounds simple, but like curtains. Mm -hmm. Every time you move, there are a different amount of windows in the house. And so you have to cover your windows if you don't want everybody looking in. Yeah. Or, you know, and that's like, it's, it's super, we all know now. Well, if you have a house, you realize that's the, one of the biggest shockers is like, wait a minute, how much? Yes. Per curtains? Yeah. Yes. And it adds up. And it, there's other things that you want to make sure you're in a certain neighborhood. If you're going to be alone for a year, mm -hmm. you're going to want to take care of yourself and your kids. Or, you know, if you're the service member, you want your family to be safe while you're gone. And so little things start to add up that people don't put into their budget and that eats away at them is there, that little wiggle room that they had is gone immediately if they have a move. So you have that. And then the majority of people do not prepare properly for the transition out of the military. It is, I call it a punch in the stomach. It is a big shock for people to be in the military life, especially if you did the full 20. Mm -hmm. What are all the different things that make it so hard? Well, it's a culture change. So in the military, it's different. The way you work together as a team, you're expected to pull your weight. And mm -hmm. because a lot of that stuff is life and death, if you don't pull your end, then you, re you really are letting somebody down. Mm -hmm. And it's very tight. And the communication style is different, very direct, very clear. You don't want any communication to be lost. Mm -hmm. And so sometimes that's difficult when people transition into the civilian world is working with civilians. I know that sounds mm -hmm. crazy, but that's difficult for them. Also the change in income, you lose medical benefits. So if you didn't go the 20, you now are gonna be paying for medical care. And that could be $1,000 a month for people that if you were living paycheck to paycheck already, and now you need you have to come- a similar amount of income now you may not have appreciated just how much that was. Correct. And not just for you, for your entire family. And dental, mm -hmm. it, you know, all that stuff is cheaper. And then also taxes. If you were, have been deploying on a regular schedule, it, now it's, it's slowed down. But before, you were used to every other year not paying federal income tax. So you made a lot more money. Because you were out of the country. Yes, in the hazardous mm -hmm. duty, hostile fire area. And so you're eligible for that. Oh, so if you're, out of, if you're out of the country and you're in a hostile environment, you don't have to pay taxes yes. on that income earned there. Correct. If you're in Italy, you're going to pay your taxes. Okay. If, if, <laughs> if you're overlooking the Adriatic Sea. <laughs> yes. With a drink in your hand. Then yeah. No. <laughs> so there is the, so that's non-hazardous. So you had to pay taxes when you were there. Yes. But if you're in Afghanistan or Iraq, you are not, you don't have to pay taxes. Yes, they have that, a list of places that receive it. So that is a big, that's a huge difference. Yes, so not only 
in your monthly paycheck, but in the amount of taxes that you have to pay. So mm. it looks like your income is, you could be making $70,000 a year, but it looks like you make 30. Mm-hmm. And so those little benefits help. And there's this- Or when you're making 70, you're making actually 70, which is yes. like making 150. Yes, with all of your other benefits. Wow. But there's I didn't also know, I didn't realize that. So there are the, the the hostile zones. You don't pay taxes. Correct. I did not know that. And then you receive extra money each month for being put in harm's way. Mm-hmm. You also receive separation pay if you go over a certain amount of days out of country. For if you're married, so they'll pay you you know two hundred fifty dollars for that month that you're separated from your spouse. Mm-hmm. So there's little things that add up, and then there's this cycle which is not a good one. But service members get into it in their families is that they expect a bailout. So, okay, well, we've been living paycheck to paycheck. We're starting to go into debt. We're maybe not contributing to the thrift savings plan anymore. And it starts to pile up. And then they'll say, okay, well, we're going to do a deployment. So we'll get right during the deployment with all that extra money. Oh, and so oh you could raise your hand and say, I'm, I'm ready to go be deployed. Well, most of the time, you know, it's coming. Like you're, they need a fresh body in the rotation. So, you know, it just depends. But yes, in some situations, some career fields, some branches of service, you can volunteer. Mm-hmm. And No kidding. So you, you can go, you can start to run on fumes, kind of knowing that deployment financially can be a bailout. Yes. So people rely on this cycle. Yes. And then when you get out, that cycle is no longer there. Yeah. And that is a huge shock for people. So if you're piling on, you know, an extra thousand dollars for medical care, you don't have a financial windfall of a deployment and all, you know, you don't have maybe making the same amount of money because in the civilian world, you might need a degree or certificate that the military does not require for that job. For aviation is mm. an, an example. So if you are an airframe and power plant, I use this one because of my husband, but if you're an airframe and power plant mechanic in the civilian world, you have to have an AMP license. Mm-hmm. You have to go through training. You have to pass exams, practical written, you don't need that when you're on active duty. And so if you wait to the last moment thinking, okay, uh, it's going to be easy for me to find a mechanic job when I get out, probably that's true, but you can't get that job unless you have an AMP. So Mm. now you've got to do, I don't know what that is, a year of training or six months trying to get your AMP license to then be qualified to do that position and make the money that you think you're going to make. And so it's this lack of preparation and really strategy it also goes back to all the what ifs it really is just more complicated it is it's more it's financial life is already complicated enough so you're trying to do better in your career you're asking for a raise or you're maybe going to go start a company and and that's hard enough and you're in the case of military families there's like three more layers of complexity yes no wonder it is so difficult no wonder you have a lot of work to do with all your helping this base of people Yes, and it's really just starting to think about it and have those conversations to say, hey, you know, maybe it's not going to work out the way that we thought it was going to work out. Hold on. I want to go to that. I want I, I want to get, I'm going to bookmark that. I want to come back to a simple question that we might, I've always wanted to ask this and I always forget. Can you take me through just like a 101 career of somebody who's going to stay for 20 years or plus? I go into either the Army, the Air Force, you pick the branch. My kids were asking me this the other day. I was taking Jake and Luke home from football, and we were talking about the military because Luke's coach went to Navy. He was a midshipman. He played football there. 
and uh, is it the midshipman? Yes. And, and, he went to the academy. And they were asking me, he's like, well, what did you do after you get out of Navy? And what are your job titles? And like, how much money do you make? And I was like, God, I, I'm like, I'm talking to Lacey Langford in, in a week or two. So I'll let you know. The uh, But just take me through a consolidated version of I go in, I'm this level, and then I didn't go to school and I'm in this level, or I went to college and I'm in this level. Give me, give, give me a 101 on that. Well, it just depends. Whether it's ranks or income, levels. Yes, it depends on if you're enlisted or an officer. So in that case, so I, let's so, start with enlisted. Yes, enlisted. So you're gonna you're gonna join. You're gonna qualify to join first of all, because there's a lot of people that can't even qualify to get into the military. That sometimes high school graduates think, okay, well, I'll just go in the military. Well, you might not meet the weight requirement, physical requirement. You might have a medical condition. So a lot of people can't even qualify to get in. Okay. A, it's a very and it's going getting smaller and smaller. So you qualify, you join, you do your training, basic training, some type of technical training after that to do your job. Mm -hmm. So you're first taught how to be a service member in a Marine. You're taught to be a Marine. You're taught to be a soldier. You're taught to be an airman. You're taught to be in, you know, a service member in the Navy, a sailor. And then you learn how to do your job. Mm -hmm. So whether that is Comms. going, you, yep. If you're going to be an admin, you're going to be in the infantry. You're going to be a cook. You're going to be supply, a driver, a mechanic. You learn that technical skill. Mm -hmm. And then you go on to your first duty station mm -hmm. and you do your job there. And it just depends on your job, where they need people, whether you're going to move or not. All right. So what about the career progression enlisted? You start as a what? It just depends. So it's E1 is the first rank. Mm -hmm. What they're called in all the branches of service is different. The first one in the Air Force is an airman. Okay. Yeah, so you start as an airman. I don't know. What, they have a pay chart. I don't know the, the number off the top of my head. But the pay chart is put out every year, mm -hmm. and that determines how much you receive. And it is based on your rank. So if you're an E1 and how many years of service you have, determine how much money you make. Mm -hmm. And if you then make rank and become an E2, and that most of those you move along in the beginning just based on years. Okay, so E1, and E2, how high does it go? E8. Okay, and E8. Is that like, a, is the it just E depends. system for all the branches or you're talking about just Air Force? Yeah, so E is for everybody. Mm -hmm. I don't know them all off the top of my head, but like in the Air Force is the Chief Master Sergeant mm -hmm. is the highest enlisted rank. And then there's an officer rank. And so all of them oh, okay. have a so, pay so chart. E1 to E8 and you're in some o of one, years. O1 is an, the first rank of an officer. And how do, you, how do you start as an officer? How do you get to the officer versus the E? You have to receive a commission. So whether if you go to school for that, so if you apply for ROTC and you go to college and then mm -hmm. join, you're going to usually you start yep. out as an officer. Yes. Okay. Yes. And then if you already have your degree, you have to have a degree to become an officer. And if you already have your degree, you can apply to join the military. Mm -hmm. yes. And then that and you goes, go see a recruiter. And that goes to 08 as well. No, that goes to 010. So then you go from 01 to 010 and 10 is... It just depends on what the name of it is, just depends on. So that would the bra it'd be either general. Yeah. Uh, 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 in the Air you Force, know. you remember it is be my little general. So the highest ranking in the Air Force is a general. The first general rank is a brigadier general, major general, lieutenant, lieutenant general. And then general. General, yeah. straight up. And then doesn't that have stars? Yes, Five stars. four stars. Four star general. Mm -hmm. It is fascinating because it is complicated. It is. You get the enlisted route, which are all the different levels. They have the officer route, and then you have all four branches. And then you have within some of the ranks, like general, there's four different kinds of general. 
Yes, and I'm really going to throw you for a loop. There's also warrant officers who are technically not enlisted, and they're not an officer. <laughs> they're called warrant officers? Warrant officers. And you call them sir or ma'am. So in the military, if if you were a captain, you were an 03 in the Air Force, you call them captain. captain. But if you're a warrant, warrant, I think it's like warrant one, two, three, you call them sir and ma'am. So yeah, so there's a difference. And a lot of times those are helicopter pilots. Okay. Yeah. Um, well, I had one other question about the all the paths. The, if, if you're going to be enlisted, you can still get to being in the officer route as well? Yes, you have to apply for a commission. Okay, so you can go. Um, yes. And what's the highest ranking E? Where, uh, is that sergeant all the way? Well, in, in the Air Force, it's a chief master sergeant. Oh, chief master sergeant. Army, yeah. it's a sergeant. And no, in the army, it's a sergeant major. Sergeant major. God, see, it's so cool. Man, I didn't know you were going to test me on all the names. I, navy, I, I'll mess that up for you. In the navy, it's a, I think it's chief master, master sergeant as well. Okay, but it's just cool. I love the, the the names are. My children are fascinated by it, and I I am just as fascinated as them. So yes. I, I wanted to. I know that has nothing to do with all the financial planning. Yeah, I'm going to have to double check some of that one. <laughs> but it's cool. Like, I need a chart. I need a chart for there, all But of there is a chart for all of it. I'm going to show it to you. It's after still complicated. Yeah, it's still complicated. It is. And for every branch, it's different. And they have nicknames. The Navy gets real confusing because they address each other by their rate. So if you are, um, I don't even know what it is, like a bosun or, yeah, so it's, the Navy's very it gets complicated. complicated. Yes. I did but, some work with the Navy. I was like, I'm never going to get this right. <laughs> so if we get to, but again, it could be you make 50,000, then you make 55, you make 60. Is it yep. pretty? Yes, it's consistent. If you don't get in trouble and you do your job, you'll continue to make rank. And then in some branches of the service, you have to test. So in the mm -hmm. Air Force and Navy, in order to then move from, like in the Air Force, from a senior airman to a staff sergeant, you're going to have to test to get that position, mm -hmm. to get that promotion. Are the raises relatively incremental or are there any big, really big jumps? Or is it just there, a long progression higher? Yeah, it's 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 slow. Mm -hmm. It's There's a couple that are maybe big jumps. I don't know between off the top of my head. But if you go from like an 02 to an 03, it's probably going to be a good 400, 500 bucks maybe. Mm -hmm. but, per month more. Yes. Okay. Uh, all right, so let's go back to helping families transition. And, and there's so many, this is again, yet another podcast where you don't have no idea what you're gonna learn uh, or what you didn't know. And this is one of them where I, I hadn't thought of just all the different pieces that make it more complicated. So the transition and use is a gut punch. There's so many different things you have to think about and adjust to. And yeah, the other thing that I've always thought it's, it seems difficult is 20 years is such an intermediate period of time. It's like 20 years and then you get out and you get some pension that usually starts later. You can start it young too, right? Can't you start taking that military pension at like 55? If you are on active duty and you joined at 18, you can start receiving your pension the day you get out or, you know, the month after you get out is mm -hmm. at 38 years old. Mm-hmm. So, oh, wow. Yes. Now, if but you that's are, not, is that enough to live? Is that enough to live no. on, or it's a nice supplement? I think some people think it is enough to live off of, but it would be if you change your quality of life. If mm -hmm. you, you know, if you are making seventy thousand dollars a year, um, you're only going to get if you're in the old system half of that a month, and so it's not going to so be the, the same. So the pensions are usually around fifty percent. Yes, yes, it's different with the BRS. So that changes, and people don't anticipate that. They just think, oh, I'm going to have the same quality of life. If you're not really making those plans and looking at what it's, that amount is going to be, you're, you're going to have to probably have another job to compensate for the difference in your income. 
So, okay. So how do you, you're, you are on a mission. So the military money show addresses all of these unique challenges and I like to think it does. Yeah. Or at least you're trying. (laughs) Yeah. You're you're trying. And what are some of the big focuses for you in order to be able to help? And, and by the way, how do you do that? What, what in practice and outside of the podcast, are you, you're sitting, you're counseling uh, families as well? Yes. So counseling and coaching, I don't do as much as, as I used to more of general coaching on the podcast, but I interview people, but when I'm not, I'm walking people through really taking ownership of their money. I work as a coach, so I'm not necessarily going to tell you what to do, but I'm going to help you get where you want to be. And a lot of that is starting to look at where they're at, factor in things that are important to the military. And another one of them is security clearances. A lot of people don't realize that your finances are held to a higher standard when you're on active duty, because most people require security clearance to do their job. And part of the adjudication process to hold a security clearance, one of the considerations is financial considerations. Mm -hmm. And so if you have an extreme amount of debt or something in collections, you become a national security risk because if you have $100,000 worth of debt Mm -hmm. and somebody approaches you, hey, could you just take a photo of this piece of equipment at your work and we'll give you $500,000. Oh. oh. So... they are watching your finances. Ah, and it's, they you, don't want you vulnerable, financially correct. vulnerable because the national security threats. Correct. There's other considerations in the adjudication, but finances is one when of them. When you see what does adjudication mean it's in this It's the case? process of them going through and seeing if you are a good security, stable Cle- person that you could be trusted with a top secret clearance or mm-hmm. secret clearance or with um, different levels of security clearance. Yeah, okay. So again, depending on wh- where you end up, you... You, you may get to a point where your job requires secure, a special security clearance. Yes. Not everybody. Most people, depending on the branch, require a secret, a secret clearance. So you have to have something. And as your security clearance climbs, so does the... Financial dig- requirement. Yeah, digging into your finances, you know, them interviewing people you know, that type of stuff. And so if they're like, hey, Lacey has, you know, a Tesla and a vacation home and in Croatia. Yeah. Yes. They might be like, you know, how is she doing that on E1 pay? You know, uh, so they start to look at that type of stuff. So that's something that people don't realize until they get notification that their security clearance is in jeopardy. So sometimes I've had to help people with that to walk through, we, hey, we got to look at your money. Because sometimes also coming from civilian life to active duty, it's like, oh, I'm in the military. And that kind of gets forgotten to pay that bill or whatever. And they have things in collections. They didn't realize it. Mm-hmm. So some of it's easy. That's to true. Fix. You're moving all over the place. Yes. You're always changing your address. Yes. That's a big deal. It I mean, is. That's a, I remember every day and I haven't moved that many times in my life, but every single time it's a big deal. Yes. Everybody's got to get, you know, everything is. Yeah. Okay. I actually just interviewed a guy for my show about unclaimed money. And that's a really big thing in the military community huh. is you actually probably have a bunch of money out there that you didn't know about like because you what? moved. Like what's an example? Our first home, we moved two moves or three moves right after we sold our home very quickly. Mm-hmm. And we had money left over in our escrow. And they're like, we're trying to give you your money. And we just never got the money. And we didn't, that was our first house. So we didn't realize we would be getting that money back. And so I found that I think like seven, eight years later. How much was it? Oh man, it it was 
It was maybe like 500 bucks, something like that. I feel like you could. this could be an entire show. Unclaimed money on CNBC. Or maybe there already is a show on that. I don't know that there is, but there is going to be one um, on the Military Money Show. But, um, but, <laughs> Unclaimed but it, money. It is. Yeah. I interviewed um, some guy from a state treasurer's office in Utah, and that's a really big thing. Billions. I think it's $7 billion a it's year. It's unclaimed. Unclaimed. Unclaimed money and unclaimed property. And they go, he went through the whole process and it's just a lot of money and adds up. And when I was preparing for the show recently, I thought about, hey, I haven't checked since my husband got out of the military. And I checked again and we had unclaimed money. We had $30 somewhere and I think $200 left over from a deposit because we had to rent. We sold our house quickly. And we had oh, you hadn't gotten a deposit, but I, I bet you that's a big one. Yes, yeah, yes. I bet you that is so a big anyway, one. And he said businesses too, so I never even thought about that. But there's a lot of unclaimed business money. So. Hmm. The, um, let, let, so a big part of your, so you do the show and then do people pay you to help them with their finances? Yes. Some people do pay me for financial coaching where uh-huh. I walk through and I always tell people I'm trying to work myself out of a job. Mm-hmm. I feel like, you know, if they, they want to, um, you know, continue on with me, they can, but I work in the capacity of I want to get them to where they want to be and then they can take it from there because I don't do investment advice. Okay. I'll teach you about the TSP, the thrift savings plan, mm-hmm. show you how that works and explain, you know, a military spouse, their 401k or, um, and you'll do planning for them. So yes, cash flow, save this much. This is what you should expect. Plan yes. for college. Okay. Yes. You'll do that. Yes. And then, and what about in military? Is it all military families Yes. or is this an, anyone? Predominantly most people come to me, they're active duty, but yes, okay. I help everybody but in the military community you receive free financial counseling Mm -hmm. so on most military installations if it's you know not a teeny military installation they are free financial counselors that the department of defense puts in place so if you are in debt if you need help understanding the thrift savings plan Mm -hmm. you can walk in there and get free help you just set up an appointment they also have through military one source free financial counseling where somebody will meet you at a local coffee shop they won't meet you in your home or your car (laughs) Um, and so people can receive help. More people come to me that maybe kind of want to take their money to the next level. Mm-hmm. They've been doing all the right things. They're saving. They're you know trying to get out of debt, and they just don't know what to do next. And these are active military families, and yeah. then they just pay you by the hour. Yes, that's how I work okay. by the hour. Hourly, and it just kind of help people go in the right direction. Whether that be you know, hey, you need a financial advisor, mm-hmm. or you need to you know the stuff you can need to handle first, and give them kind of actionable steps to get them where they want to be. How many people? So 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 much of this is helping families understand just how big the transition is going to be. Yeah. And so you'll sit down with them and you'll say, look, do you know how much you're making today? Do you know what that's going to look like when you're 50 or 60? What's what's the average age people get out? 38, 40. Really? Yeah. If you came in when you're 18, older Mm -hmm. if you're an officer. But um, really 40 to mid 40s. Yeah, 42. And then... How many folks stay on after that and they do 30 and 40 years or they, is that only for really high ranking officers? Yes. Yes. But I think more people should stay in if they want to, Mm -hmm. because you're starting over when you get out, Mm -hmm. you are low man on the totem pole. You have built up your rank, your status, your position in the military. And if you're enjoying it, if you don't hate it, you're not deploying all the time and your family's happy, 
you might just want to stay in. I think a lot of people think, oh, I did, I did the 20, I have to get out. Mm-hmm. And there are things that get old. You know, you do have to meet a physical requirement. You're mm-hmm. being tested all the time for that. Really? Yes, you have to have annual physical training tests and, you know, meet a certain amount. Of, you know, you can't be over body weight. You have to um, have, you know, just it depends. So you want to... By the way, what happens if you, if you gain, let's say I gain 40 pounds and I'm overweight, what happens? They're going to notify you that you need to lose weight. And how and much time do they give you? I, I th- I'm not sure off the top of my head. Just probably depends on the branch. But they give you notice and, and then they'll let you, you get a letter of reprimand probably if you are not the correct weight. And that's, you know, going in your folder, that's not good. <laughs> and then... Um, Come to think of it, there are no fat military people. Huh. And, and you get put on a weight management program. So you have to do, rem, <laughs> you know, kind of remedial training for physical training. And they're going to help you. They have nutritionists. So they're going to not just turn you out in the cold. They're going to let you know you got to meet the standard. And then um, for people that don't, you do get... Put down the cheesecake. Yes. Wow. Yes, they're going to be dial back that Chick-fil-A. But um, Chick-fil-A is the healthy fast food, isn't it? That's true. That's true. The healthy one. That's what I tell myself. Uh, I know, me too. <laughs> the, oh, this is the good one. Guys, let's go to, boys, let's go to Chick-fil-A. Um, so have you read the book? No, I haven't. I want to. Though. I have it planned out, but I haven't done it yet. You're going to, though. Yes. I've got a good title and a good plan. Tell me your favorite episode or guest on Military Money Show. Well, I have to say... I've done two family shows now that I'm most proud of. I interviewed mm-hmm. my 94-year-old grandmother, and I just recently interviewed my father and also all three of my siblings. And those have been the funnest shows because obviously I'm most comfortable. And, yeah. But that also, I've shared more about me mm-hmm. and where I come from, and I think people can understand me more. But interviewing my dad was really big because he's been such a big influence in my life and especially now in my career it's hard to believe that I was probably the biggest mess up out of all four of us and now the you're one, the one that's the, 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 <laughs> yeah, the money, money yeah person. yeah so that that I think is hard to believe probably for everybody in the family but um but no but he's super proud and, and he said that on my show and that was huge for me to for him to see what I do cry I know he did I did, I did start to choke up when he said that because one, I wasn't planning on it. And that was really crazy that my dad would put that on air. Like he intentionally yeah. said that so it would be recorded. And, mm-hmm. um, but for him to get to experience the whole process of recording mm-hmm. a podcast with me, because you get it when you create a business, it, it's your imaginary friend. It's make believe. Mm-hmm. Yeah. You're creating something out of thin air and me telling my family like, oh, I'm going to do this thing. Like I'm going to start my own coaching business and I'm going to create a podcast. My dad's like, what the hell is a podcast? Yeah. And for him to, to get to experience that and then for me to be able to share that with the world, something that's very personal to me, I felt really special about that one. That's cool. And yeah. what, how, many, how many episodes in are you? I am at 147, 148. That's good. That's good. Yes. It takes it takes a long time. We were talking to um, Joe Salsehi from uh, Stacking Benjamins. You know, he says people always ask him what, like, when am I going to make money with my podcast? And he was like, Year four. Year. I mean, it takes some time. It really takes yeah. some time. So hopefully, yours will be quicker than that. Oh, it has been. It already has been. Well. I think a lot of it plays into that I have a very niche podcast mm-hmm. and the military yeah. community is very protected and it is protected by me. That's my family. Not everybody gets in the front door to hang around my family mm-hmm. and there's a lot of predators. They want their steady paycheck and take advantage of them. And so I think that has been helpful for me monetizing my podcast mm-hmm. is for brands to understand that, you know, I'm looking for long-term relationships that 
people that care about my audience the way that I do. And if you're serious about that, then you know, I'll take you, but I'm not just taking everybody for the money. So you've been able to find some good key sponsors that are, that, that love your audience. Yes. I, I was blessed. Charles Schwab is sponsored my show and Navy Federal currently sponsors my show. Navy Federal, Charles Schwab. Those are blue chip names. Yeah. It's America. Yeah. <laughs> That's awesome. Uh, Lacey Langer, thanks so much for being here. Thank uh, you for having me. Wait, wait, by the way, where do we, where do we find you? LaceyLangford.com. You can find my blog, the podcast, everything is there as a hub. Lacey Langford, thank you for being here. (laughs) Thank you for having me. Hey, y'all. This is Mallory with the Retire Sooner team. Please be sure to rate and subscribe to this podcast and share it with a friend. If you have any questions, you can find us at westmoss.com. That's W-E-S-M-O-S-S.com. You can also follow us on Instagram and YouTube. You'll find us under the handle Retire Sooner Podcast. And now for our show's disclosure. This podcast is provided to you as a resource for informational purposes only and is not to be viewed as investment advice or recommendations. This information is being presented without consideration of the investment objectives, risk tolerance, or financial circumstances of any specific investor and might not be suitable for all investors. It is not intended to and should not form a primary basis for any investment decision that you may make. Always consult your own legal, tax, or investment advisor before making any investment or financial planning considerations. Please refer to the full disclosure in the podcast description for any additional information information.